Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made-in-America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> All right, so this is Ask Me Anything Friday. We're going to call this AMA Friday from here on out. Some of you ask questions. We posted this on Facebook in the Facebook group and invited you to ask any question. And with 6,700 people in that Facebook group, 
I was expecting something from everything from, you know, whether Seth wears underwear and does he really know the meanings to all those big <laughs> words. And We've got three questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> we got three or four. We got three or four. And uh, But, no, we, we really do want to encourage people. I'm going to take that post down and delete it, and when you see it pop up the next time, uh, chime in there. And, and I, one thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that it's not that we have all the answers. We want to go find the people that can answer the question if we can't because I want to learn too. When people ask me questions and then I've got to do research and I've got to find the right answers – it helps me learn. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times, I, and especially when I'm training, um, I, I tell the class this, that everyone sitting in the classroom knows something I don't. And I'm able to pull something from them if I'll just sit and listen. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff, especially in the hound world, is opinions. You know, experience, what's worked for you may not work for me and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I think. I think you can learn from you can learn something from everybody. There's no doubt about that. And before we get there, let's talk about bear hunting because that's what we're doing. <laughs> this this podcast is being recorded at the last minute. We're pushing our deadline up. We're pushing up against the deadline on this one for Sportsman's Nation. Uh, sorry, Dan, but the only reason we produce this podcast is because we really love to hunt more, and uh, so we've been getting after it this week. Get trying to get some bears and trees, and and uh, we got that accomplished this morning. Yeah, we had a really good day. I I will not complain. Yeah. All the dogs were caught by nine thirty, and we was well, we was back at the truck by nine thirty. Yeah, and seen three bear. That's right. So, what's we, that scar on your arm right there? That's from changing the U joint in my truck, and the muffler was a little too hot. <laughs> Repairing or changing? Well, it blowed out on me again Saturday. And I was pulled it into the cabin and crawled up underneath it. I had a spare because I've been, I've been, it's been blowing them. And I, when I reach up to to unloosen the the screws that was holding in on the rear end side, it went up against the muffler. Ooh. And then this morning, when I got under it to check it, you burned it again. I burnt that. Like I'm between the bees and the. And the burns, <laughs> like I don't know if I'm gonna make it through the week. <laughs> Stinking! Oh my gosh, I got a murder up. hornet hit me right between the eyes this morning. That's the same place it got me yesterday. I told you about them this morning. We're going out there and kill them. I couldn't find them. I seen one flying around. When we come in. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got wage war here in a little bit. We're yeah. gonna, might have to burn the house down to get them. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, let's let's. Uh, I want to talk about some of these questions. I want to thank everybody that did uh, submit a question. We still haven't got an answer from uh, Wesley Woodyard if he's going to take a bite from Pino. Well, I can tell you right now. He's not willing. No, he's not. He he didn't even show up to hunt yesterday. He's scared. He said he was sick. Sick, Yeah. Yeah, I think he slept in. I think what I'm going to do is just one day I'm just going to take Pino, put him in a dog box and not take my other dogs. Wesley starts down through the woods, I'm just going to send him. (laughs) We'll ambush him. (laughs) Wesley, your dad's a lot tougher than you are. Yeah. I'll just tell you. Wesley's dad got bear bit last week. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. Got a little too close. <laughs> to that was ch- a that was a painful learning experience. Yeah, trying to grab the wrong end of a dog in a bear bay. Yeah. You grab the tail and pull them out. You don't reach <laughs> up to grab the collar when they're two foot away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. 
All right, let's let's talk about the first one uh, from Jacob Campbell, old Jacob. He's like, "What is your upcoming hunt?" Well, I'm on it right now. What states will you be hunting fall and winter? I, I mean, is this guy like keeping my schedule? Are you volunteering to keep my schedule for me, Jacob? Well, I told Chris Jacob that as soon as you get some Walker dogs, he said he'd be right over. In fact, if he does come over in the near future, I'm gonna send some white paint with him so he can put some racing stripe on them dogs. Yeah, we got. <laughs> he says we got paint some dogs in, in September. I'll tell you what. After this morning, uh, that's funny. Turn loose, and I'm not gonna lie, Heath. Those dogs, Kate, Kate and Spook this morning, I, they were impressive. When when they rigged that bear, I dropped my stuff out. They, I'll make one excuse. They ran hard yesterday, and mm. and they might have been a little bit sore. But but even at that, I don't I don't know if my dogs were in top shape. They would have could stay with Kate and Spook, and uh, they look strong this morning. Putting the heat on those bear going over the top. I was watching them on the Garmin, and it was just like holy smoke. They don't high octane. Yeah, I mean, and that's the that's the running dog in them. Yeah, I mean, they run to catch, and you noticed how quiet they were mm-hmm. when they were pulling the side of that mountain. They didn't say nothing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's typically their style. You you drop them, and if it's a decent track, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, they're it's. I mean, it's like you shot them out of a rocket. Um, again, that's good. I like it. I catch a lot of bear, but on the other side of that, I would really like them for them to give them more mouth. Yeah. Um, I can't. It's hard to get my young dogs, get them lined out when I'm trying to show them what to do and how to do things because those two just, they're gone. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they, they, you know, they do they do good. Um, I can't complain. And then you tie them at the tree and they chew the leashes in half. Well, that was the young dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you just got a shorter lead now. I do. I always thought that thing should have been a foot shorter. <laughs> well, oh, my goodness. Uh, anyway, Jacob, to answer your question, I mean, the, the, we're all hunting all kinds of places. Um, I know Seth's going to be hitting it hard out in New Mexico. He's he's going to – we'll all be in Texas in October uh, for the terrier trials down there and do some hog hunting with some friends down there. Lauren's been all over. She's been in Colorado. And uh, that's the thing about, about this – team is we're hunters first and we're going to go and we're going to go yeah we just have every once in a while we get tied up with having to put the podcast together which we enjoy doing but but uh we'll be all over and it's hard hard tell them where you're going to see us or <laughs> uh, is seth coming here he wanted to come here he might yeah he talked about coming in yeah so maybe maybe he'll get in every time he starts thinking about going somewhere he sends me a message and asks me if i'll cover his flight for oh him. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i'm going to record some stuff for houndsman xp mm-hmm. yeah so to answer that question i mean who knows we we try to try to keep stuff rolling and and uh but i plan on getting back out to out west this year and, and definitely going to be over here quite a bit in virginia mm-hmm. yeah so as long as i got a even if i got a camp up there at that one little camp would pass the day that barely had a roof on it well it works yeah yeah all right, Anthony Anderson's got a question for us. Where's Anthony from? Do we know? I don't know. Let's look. I'm looking at him on Facebook. Some people don't want to tell you where they're at on Facebook either. On Facebook? Yeah. Let's look. I, I've looked him up before. Wisconsin. Oh, nice. He's a cheesehead. Yeah. He's a packer. Yeah. He says, uh, 
says, how do you call your dogs? We honk horns and call here. Yeah. And he put a video up. And, you know, it's it's uh, that is one thing that, that's fun to talk about because I've heard all kinds of stuff, everything from horn honking to horn blowing, the old cow horn, mm-hmm. uh, with garments and stuff. Then, uh, you know, you got the tone going on, but I still, I still put the old war hoop on it, you know, so they know where I'm at. I think that's important. Let's talk about that from a training aspect. Um, you can, you yeah. can, you can tone a dog, but mm-hmm. if he doesn't know where he's going. Right. Yeah. It don't mean a lot of dogs will, when you backtrack. tone them, they'll backtrack sure. a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're a hundred yards be above them. You don't want them backtracking 400 yards down the mountain where you dropped them out. Well, you always want to pair that tone with something. Mm-hmm. And that, that recall, whatever you call it, the, yeah. you know, I I mean, I use everything. I mean, I'm honking. In fact, the other day, my dog was six-tenths of a mile on, up the mountain. He was underneath a rock ledge. And I started hooping and hollering, whatever you want to call it, Appalachian slang. And I started beeping my horn. I pulled up in a water holler that kind of shot up the mountain and started blowing my horn. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 20 minutes later, my dog was at me. Um, I have used dog whistles. Yep. I have used the old timers cow horn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I've used everything. It just seems for me, the the easiest thing to use is your mouth because you've got it with you all the time. Right. <laughs> Instead of carrying a cow horn with you, or like I said, if I'm in the truck, yeah, I mean, I'll start beeping the horn. Um, but again, that goes back to your foundation and what you're doing at the house and how you're, you're teaching them to do it. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's probably the majority of what people do is beep the horn and holler. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. I remember coming off the mountain one, it's been years ago, Barry Tartan was still alive and, uh, coming off that mountain and listening to him sitting there blowing that horn and walked down there and he, Barry was probably 81, 82 at the time. So he wasn't going with the hounds anymore, but he mm-hmm. loved being out there. He'd go to the mountain every day. And uh, he was sitting there on an old camp campsite that was vacant, big old stump turned up on its end, you know, sitting there on that stump, just blowing that cow horn. Just, mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, those dogs knew because he laid that foundation work there around the house. Mm-hmm. And so pretty soon those dogs started filtering back into him and just gathering them up and sticking them in his box. But that was cool when I was coming off. I was kind of coming off this trail above him, coming down through the the laurel. And I've used a horn. I've heard other people use horns, and I knew what it was. But it was really neat, almost uh, uh, poetic when you got down there mm. and you saw Barry Tarleton sitting there on that that stump with that horn, yeah, you know, blowing it. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, yep. I think. Uh, some of the speaking of the devil, I was just going to bring her up. Lauren just sent me a text, um, but uh, Lauren probably. How do you think she calls dogs? Oh my lord, she's probably got some high sophisticated. Uh, she probably carries a megaphone around with her. I think it's probably like Ridge, get over <laughs> here. <laughs> she's going to kill me. Uh. <laughs> Lauren, we got you wearing. A, we got you carrying a megaphone. That's how you're doing it. <laughs> That's just how I envision it. Oh man, she's kind of down on her luck right now. With uh, Ridge is injured. Is that the one that's got the back? Yeah, the back issue that she. Well, what's wrong with Cedar? 
Uh, or River. I don't know all them dogs, but I don't either. It seems like she's got one somewhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, all right. This is one's going to take a little bit. Uh oh. Dogs are treated actually. I know that's Kevin. Kevin. Nancy probably collaborated. Probably had to type it for him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my question is X-bred dogs. UKC recognized X-bred dogs to have the registry, if I'm not mistaken, several years ago. So the question is, how is it going? Are people participating? Are big-name dogs in a breed being crossed with big-name dogs from another breed? And what had been the outcomes? Where are they Are they winning hunts? I know who could answer that, and it's not me. Josh Michaelis? Him or Trevor? Yeah, Trevor Wade could. Yeah. Well, just from my own experience, I think one thing, uh, like X-Bred, it, it hasn't been – it was a few years ago, but to make sure that we understand, the open registry, uh, single registering dogs has been had been available in UKC for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You know, you could – up until probably five years ago – you could take a dog that fit the breed standards that looked like an English dog and single register them as an English dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, every breed you could do that with except the plot hound, and it shows. But uh, uh, that was a joke, Heath. Well, I, they're so – I mean – I ne- The plot people have always I don't want to step on my, my tongue, but, yeah, it's been very hard, you know, back – I mean, it's been years ago, you know, Gene White down in Tennessee was, was breeding dogs, and he was having blonde plots. Yeah. And if you go back in the history, everybody knows the history of the plot, you know, and, you know, they they refused to register them. And mm-hmm. I, I thought any solid color, I just didn't, I just don't, and I still don't understand it. You know, they they're, they were changing the breed standards, even though some of the original genetics were popping up in color. So I yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, when you talk about the plot breed, that was kind of a joke on myself because I, I love my plots, uh, even though they they fell fell behind in the race. And then Rooster's calling me on the radio, saying, "Hey, your plots in the road up here. You want me to <laughs> you want me to pick him up?" I was like, "No, Rooster, I'm not looking for front runners right now. I'm just looking for track finishers. Let him go if he's still working. Just let him run. Yeah, let him go. He's not going to get legged up riding around in my box. Yeah, but uh, he, oh. he they finished so." Well, I'll tell you real quick. So we went to Walker Hayes' concert Saturday night. Yeah. So Walker Hayes has a new song coming out saying that dog will hunt. Yeah. And he tells about the background of where it come from. Of course, he's from Alabama. And he said back in there, you know, it's like everything that's good, that dog will hunt. That dog will hunt. So when you said that, that come to my mind. Like, let him hunt. Let that dog hunt. Let that dog hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a difference between – Cross or the single registered dogs and the uh, expert dogs. Expert dog uh, is has to be two registered dogs with UKC that already have registration papers from different mm-hmm. breeds. They can make the cross and then they can be they can be registered as expert. So I've got mine registered as expert. Are they X? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what I done? So you put so you it gives you the three generation. And if you know them, you put them in there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, like some of my, do- I've crossed the rest of the dogs, so I just put the UKC number in on the bottom or whatever, and it fills it out automatically. <laughs> and then, like Spook, um, I know 
I know his parents, but I don't know further than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I put him down, but now when Hart, Houdini, or the pups out of fancy, if they're ever bred, you'll have that three generation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, I've don't I've, they have to be ex-bred for three generation? The fourth generation can be registered as. I don't know that. Walker. I don't know. The we'll only have to reason, dig into that. The only reason I do it, I could care less about papers, and I know that's probably bad, but a lot of the guys that I hunt with don't know the bloodline like I do. Mm-hmm. So I do it so they have a record of what's what. Um, if I pull my 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 big binder that's got all my, my papers and stuff in it, you would see all kinds of notes where I've wrote down, this dog was bred to this dog, this dog's out of that dog. I mean, mm-hmm. I literally have got numerous writings or notes on there where I've kept up with their pedigrees. You know, it uh, costs 25, what is it, 25 bucks for a permanent registration? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's around 25. Yeah, no, let's just yeah. 25. That's pretty it's cheap. It's 29. It's $29 for, for the one. That's pretty cheap yep. for the records keeping, mm-hmm. you know, so that you can you can keep track of all that stuff. But uh, ex-bred dogs, yes. Uh, PKC's been doing it for a long time. When you single registered their dog in PKC, it came back as a crossbred. But uh, basically, that was any two hound type dogs, and and uh, you could you could register them. Are they? Alan Gingrich would be really good to talk to about this, and we're going to mm-hmm. have to. I'll, I'll, I'll ask him. I'm going to be rabbit hunting with him up in the UP, and uh, we'll get that. You should do a whole podcast on it. Yeah. Are people participating? Yeah, I mean, but it seems to be more in, from what I've noticed in PKC. Yeah, uh, I don't know. PKC, like you've got, you've got Halftime Ruby. She's a, she's a crossbred dog. They took Ruby and bred her to big country. She's a, she's a, looks like a walker female. Mm-hmm. Took her and bred her to big country. Those pups were winning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going on. It's happening. Some guys in PKC have been doing it for a long time. I'm curious to see how long it's going to be able to carry on because the X bred. Well, I mean the the reproductive ability. So you take a high high powered dog like Ruby, breed it to a high powered blue tick male like like Big Country, and they produced uh, some real winners out of that that bunch. And uh, are those pups going to be able to reproduce? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to reproduce better than themselves, or are they? Are we going to hit a dud for a couple of generations before those genetics come back to the surface from grandma and grandpa? Well, you know, and I'm thinking about Bart's podcast about the the breeding program, and I I didn't get to ask him, and I haven't got to follow up with him yet on another, but like when he said that the first generation doesn't sometimes don't turn out, and you see it in the third or second mm-hmm. generation. What causes him to breed that? Knowing, like, is he just saying, "Okay, I've got, I've got this ability. Let's see what happens," or is he saying, "What I want to know what the foundation is. Why would you make a cross that you're not crazy about?" Does that make sense? What yeah. I'm saying? If you know where you came from, if you know where you've come from, though, yeah. If you know what's behind those dogs, everything back there is solid, and you get this wild hair to, hey, you know, I think Spook. Needs a little more brain, so I'm gonna breed him to a plot. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> and and you end up with a. a you, we're gonna do that, by the way. We'll come up with some crazy bear catching machine. Yeah. Um, but then those pups, 
maybe they're just mediocre. <clears throat> maybe they're just they're good enough to make mm-hmm. the grade. Mm-hmm. They're not superstars, but they're not calls. No one behind there wouldn't you feel comfortable? Well, and that's what he talked about. Moving it on. Yeah, I mean that's what he talked about is that a lot of times it's not the superstars reproducing. Mm-hmm. It's the average. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean I guess maybe in in thinking about it like that, maybe that's their philosophy or what their thought process is. But yeah, I mean if you got if you got a strong background and pups and litter mates and parents and their litter mates, I mean I think it's I think it's a chant. I don't even know that it, it's a, it's a calculated, very calculated move, and I mm-hmm. think that it would benefit you more so than not. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. See if we got that all taken care of. So Kevin, on a couple of those, uh, I did talk to Alan this week, but he didn't have time to to do a podcast. He's getting ready for Autumn Oaks. Uh, are they winning hunts? Yes, they are. You can look at the PKC uh, leaderboards over there for um, the the studs and different things, and, and it will break that down. You can find that at ProHound. And then Kevin, oh, Kevin, he says, his second question said, so that first one was too broad, so here's another. When setting dogs up, this will be a good one. When setting dogs up for trash breaking, when is the best moment to administer the dose of correction. What was that again? That was long. Yeah. It says, when setting dogs up for trash, uh-huh. breaking, Yep. when is the best moment to administer the dose of correction? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's easy. Yep. Um, and you and I just had this conversation the other night. Yep. So I'll give you guys some information that I got from a class at uh, Inflo in Orlando. Um, the class I set through was NEPOPO, which is negative, positive, positive, and it uses the four quadrants of operant conditioning. And I think I'm going to adjust my training, my training style a little bit according to the class, the videos that I saw, and how it was applied. So back to Kevin's is a Kevin question. Mm-hmm. As soon as you see a behavioral change. Do not let them get invested. As soon as you see, okay, they got it and they want that boom, that light switch went off in their head, you should make, you should, that's when that should be administered. It should be immediate. Um, I have been, and y'all have heard me say this, you've heard me talk about it, and the, the way that I do it works. I do light doses, just stem, 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 stem. I just, I do, I do that enough to aggravate them to change their behavior. But after sitting in this class um, with Justin Rigney, and you can look up, you know, him on Facebook. I mean, he he is a very very talented um, training trainer. Um, he is he he's he's awesome with dogs. He said if you want to do extinction chain training, and he used the theory as a, a dog putting their paws up on the table or getting what's extinction training elimination done when i I want it over the behavior is extinct does not exist anymore yep so that's what we want to do when we do trash breaking um i don't know that i would have said this before i sat in that class and watched the drastic behavioral change did you watch videos and different mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. yeah he had it remember i told you he had the tone where he when he when he hit the the e um, you could hear the buzz, and you know when he applied it and how long he applied it. Mm-hmm. Well, our podcast audience wasn't listening to our conversation the other night. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kevin, when they you see a behavioral change, you want to 
eliminate, extinct that behavior. So give us an example with the sandwich on the counter. Go ahead with that. That was such a good example. Yep. Yep. So you've got flu flu here that wants to come up and eat your, you make you a sandwich. You, you go to put trash in a trash can. Next thing you know, you turn around and your sandwich is gone. All right. When that dog, so what, what we would do is we, we put a, a collar on the dog and we set the dog up. We may that, move that sandwich to a coffee table where it's easy access. Same thing with our, our deer or coyotes or whatever you're doing. Set them up, and then you turn your back while watching that dog, and when he, touch, when he touches those paws to the table or the counter or the, if, it's, if it's a coffee table and he can lean into it, as soon as he leans into it, he should think that the wrath of God has removed him from that room. Um, so I'm going to up my stem on, on the way that I'm, I'm doing on my trash breaking. I'm going to try it, even though the way I, I do it works, but where I see the effect of what the videos and stuff, a lot, most of these dogs were one and done. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about food and not the natural desire to run game. So highest level of stimulation, stimulation. in our hounds. Yes. So I can't say that it'll be one and done, but I am going to test it on my dogs to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing the same things. As soon as they start into that behavior, boom, he's zapping them. Same thing we should be doing. As soon as they start into that behavior, boom, we got them, and they should not want to do it again. It should be such a displeasurement. Do you think it could be effective, you know, on the old thing we've always done, see some deer in the field? And we set them up that way. Can we set them up like that and do a one and done extinction training? You yeah, think? that's that's yeah, that's how I would do it. But now I'm not going to let my dog get into it because once you start letting that dog run, you know it's going to take a lot more of that that pressure. Okay, so um, so when you're doing this, this made a lot of sense to me. Something I, I I read a long time ago and started doing. Like if I see deer in the field, maybe I see a deer crossing the mm-hmm. road. I'll sit there and I'll watch the deer go on mm-hmm. and go through the field and, and hit the wood line. I'll drive up the road a quarter mile, and then I'll walk the dog back across and hit that track at a 90-degree angle. And as soon as I see that hook, yep. that, that sin hook, yep. boom, hit him. Yes. Um, you can you can set a dog up to run into it instead of running into it um, – uh, in line, mm-hmm. you can set them where you are doing the um, the cross track. Yeah, everything's good, everything's yeah. cool. And when you see that that head turn, that what, head turn, yeah. that body language, yeah. you see that tails come yeah. up, and you know, and they hook into it. Man, that's that's when I hit them. Yeah, that's right. And like I said, so I'm and I'm not going to tell you I'm burning my dogs up on 18 for the Garmin, um, but I'm I've been hitting my dogs on three or three on medium. That's about, I can control my dogs, most of my dogs from almost all behaviors, but that foundation's been set. They understand, you know, the tone, they understand what the the stem's for, um, and they know when they're not doing what they've asked to do, but I am going to up it, um, and I may do it in small increments. I may go from a three to a five or, you know, maybe a six Mm -hmm. just to see, um, because one thing that I know from canine training is, just like I have the Dogtra um, shocking system, um, it goes to 127. Once you go past 127, what do you do if that don't work? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to get to 18. 
I right. want I want to be able to control it at ten or twelve or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am going to up the 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 amount of stimulation, the amount of pressure, um, and just to see if it works. But the, to Kevin, for your question, as soon as you see the behavioral change, and you know your dogs well enough, as soon as you see them and you recognize that they're in odor, bam, and it's got to be immediate. And that's one thing that we mess up on on training, and even in this class, you know, we he 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 harped on timing timing is everything Mm -hmm. you know if you want to correct a behavior or change a behavior it's got to be in that one to one and a half two second mark after that dog don't understand what's going on yeah you know just like dog poops in the house and you go you catch the dog and you run him over there and you run his nose in it it's completely ineffective because the dog's like what is this crazy person doing right like you know they they done took a poop they don't two, care two what ago. happened 15 seconds yep. ago, and they don't care what's going to happen 15 seconds from now. Yeah. Uh, but so would you, talking about this, you know, this hot hot stuff, I mean, you already talked about the levels that you're personally going to use. And that's for trash. That's for extinction training. Behaviors, that, that's, I, not, yep. that's not a go-to for everything you're going to no, do. No, 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 no. Only... I'm going to use that on coyotes and deer. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. Yeah. Um, I, I never, I don't want to get to that level. And like I said, if the foundation's proper, like I said. You're I not can, going to use it for barking in the box. No, 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 no. No, because then just like the dog that I talked about before, you drive that dog into a red state. And once his mind's in red, he has no, uh, he cannot process or learn. Mm-hmm. So no, um, I would go back to barking in the box to nag, 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 nag. Right. You know, right. stop, stop, you know. Well, let's talk about that real quick. I know we got a few more questions, but this is something that I started doing. We've got the momentary mm-hmm. stimulus on the Garmin, mm-hmm. and we've got the constant. Mm-hmm. And I was always in the habit of just nicking with the momentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went to the constant, mm-hmm. but it was like, Push, 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 push. I do it. I do the same thing. I know. That's yep. I got it from you. I started yep. thinking about it, and I thought, okay, that's, yep. you know, so it's buzz, 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 buzz. I can do it as quick and as long as many times as I want to. Yeah. And then if I don't, if I need to apply pressure and hold it, I've got that option. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm using two buttons in one. That's all you're doing. Yeah. But I, I use the nick or the nag is what I call it. Right. You know, bam, bam, bam. I just, I keep doing it until... That I can watch and see the behavioral start to change, and then once I, it starts to change, I release. I release it. Yep, yep. release the pressure. Yeah, cool. And the thing with the constant, when you apply constant pressure, the dog has to understand what you're asking him. You can use the constant. Let's just take a heel. Um, so here's a visual of the constant and when how it would work. So let's say that I'm healing my dog for obedience, and I have to do that for certification. So I need the dog to be Front leg to side, his front shoulder should be touching my knee, um, the outside of my knee, and we should be walking together, and he should have, I like my dog to have eye contact. Mm-hmm. That way I know that he's invested in me and not what else is going on. So the distractions don't matter to him. And, yeah. you know, we talked about that before. So let's say that he breaks that heel. Then I would apply the constant, deep, until he swings back around, outside shoulder, or inside shoulder to touch my knee, doop, boom, and it goes away. But he knows the heel. Right. He knows his position in He's the heel. He's got that foundation. He's already right. got that locked in for sure. 
Yeah. But he had a momentary lapse of judgment. Yeah. And <laughs> and it just makes him move faster. That's all. Yeah. Because he knows, my dog knows, that the faster he gets back to that position, the faster the pressure okay. is released. Yeah. Yeah. So to recap that, the right time to administer the dose of correction is when you see a behavioral change in your dog. Not yep. not when they get invested, hundred yards down the track, stuff like that. And I've I've had yep. guys actually tell me when I was trash breaking somebody riding with me, it's like, well, I'd like that. I'd let that dog go ahead and and run that deer, let him run it a little bit, and then light him up. It's ten times it's ten times harder to break them that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can, and it works, but it's you're taking you're taking the long way around. Yeah. When you get that when that dog gets vested. And you'll you'll know it. You got to shock them, shock them, shock them, hold it down, and then they quit. Instead yeah. of going, okay, here's a behavioral change, oh beep beep or whatever, and it's done. Right. So. Yep. Ariel Puldunas, she's setting us up. Oh Lord. Yeah, she set us up with this question because she probably already knows the answer to it. She's just gonna she's gonna come back on the next podcast and. Tell me how I miss how I mess this up. <laughs> she probably knows the answer to her question. Yes. Yeah. All right. Ariel asks, and Ariel has been on our podcast, your the journey three times now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three different times. The last one was great about dealing with the tone and how to train f- with the tone. Uh, how do you deal with babbling, barking in the box on leash or after you cut them loose? We have a couple that are bad about this. One female especially is a firecracker but gets frustrated and whines, barks, screams if she's not the one out working the track and she barks the whole time on her way to join the other dogs when we cut her loose. So the question is, how do you deal with babbling, barking in the box on leash or after you cut them loose? And I'm going to go ahead and talk about uh, include up on the rig versus being inside the box eventually. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, I mean, that's a tough question, but let's talk about that really quick. So people understand what's going on in the dog's head. Um, that cue or stressor is basically the dog's excited or has anxiety or he's got pent-up frustration because he's not being turned loose. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what's causing that whining or barking. Um, our dogs do it at the house, too. I mean, you have to understand what, what's going on. And where we make mistakes, and I don't, I mean, Ariel's way smarter, so she, I know she's not done this. But, like, at the house, your dog barks, and then you go out there and, oh, okay, you know, you pet him. Well, you just reinforced that bad behavior. Yeah. Um, instead, of, instead of ignoring it or whatever. Um, so the hard thing is, especially and here, and this is just like tracking, like this is where it's so, it gets so difficult. If that dog's in odor and it's barking and whining, that correction is very, it's on you know, a fine line, mm-hmm. very fine line, because there's where you can start diminishing drive. Um, if the dog's just barking to be barking, that's a different story. Yeah. So you have to be able to differentiate between the two. One of the things that I do, if I'm, if let's just say, let's say I'm out walking. Let's cover that first. If I'm out walking and my dogs strike, um, we all know if dogs all blow up on, on line, I mean, it's a hot track. Yeah. So I don't really care. And I'm pretty much probably 
cutting them in or cutting my young dogs in one at a time at that point. Um, if it's hey, something where the dogs are down and they're trailing, I back up. I get them off of that X, the track, the odor. So if I do have to apply a correction, and they do it's not in odor. Because that's something, like I said, when we work on our tracking with the, the law enforcement side, it's hard to correct really dogs do when they're in odor. Like they if they're doing something that are um, and the contamination you tracks and stuff, house. you've got you've got to when catch them at, them at the right time, at the right second, correct it, and move on. Um, so I move weather, I move out of that and then balls that, are protected. that window. You keep a hound on so feet. I know that it's not a big deal. Um, and then their tie-outs, their premium tie-outs. How do we correct this it? This is, uh, it's not, you're not going to probably get it accomplished in you know, the woods at the time it's happening. Um, uh, Lauren says she can this get goes back to your foundation work and stuff at the house. But the problem is setting minutes. the dog up, We're gonna have to see make him bark. That. So you check can out do that is a complicated task. Enter mm-hmm. that promo code HXP twenty percent off. So you're going to get twenty percent off. I would suggest if that if you're if you're and I know she walks a lot, so that's that's something that I would probably walk on. She goes out free casting, yeah. And they they let a couple dogs loose and the other younger dogs with them, yeah. So I would move off the X, move out of the window with me, yeah. And then you have to redirect, and she knows this. You have to redirect that behavior into something that as, is as rewarding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, again, you got a dog a that's wanting to run. Um, that that's that's a tall hunting. order to fill. Freedom Hunters um, it is can be done. I don't like my dogs barking, carrying on. And my dogs, I mean, you know, they know that if I'm moving back and the dogs are just in there trailing, I mean, I get a little bit of pacing and a little bit of antsiness, but for the most part, I can control the bar. A lot of of babbling is is a carryover of bad behavior from from caused by us a lot of times. When we take that pup that's four (laughs) months old Mm -hmm. and we expect them to to try to turn them loose on a track Mm -hmm. and they can't keep up, like you said, it's bad. It comes from frustration. So. You know, a lot of times it's just one of those deals. If you don't start the behavior, you don't have to correct it later. And um, this is one of the downfalls that I've been guilty of uh, over the years is is getting excited about that young dog, wanting to get them out there and and turning them loose with the old dogs. And they're just yap, 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 yap for 150 yards, and then they realize they're not going to keep up and they come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't do anything with it. Now they're walking along beside me. I've created a couple bad things there by trying to hunt a pup too young. If you see a pup, if you've got a young dog out there that's leaving you like that, they're not ready to hunt yet. They can't keep up physically. Mm-hmm. Take them on a walk by themselves. Let them learn <clears throat> that, you know, they could let them learn to hunt at their own pace instead of sitting them out there and expecting them to go with the big dogs. Yeah. I mean, just like I did mine today. I didn't turn her loose with with him. Nope. She nope. couldn't have kept up if she didn't want her to. Right. So how old is how old is she now? Six months. They're six, six months. months. And yeah. she's she's a big pup, mm-hmm. big leggy, yep. but she just doesn't have the physical ability yep. to do it. Yeah. And she may have the desire to do it, but she doesn't have the physical ability, and she knows she's dropping behind. So now, yep. what's she going to do? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So what was the second one? It was talk about the truck. The I think use a truck. Yeah. It was. Uh, Barking in the box on leash or after you cut them loose. We covered cut them loose and on leash. Um, I'm not afraid to use a little bit of stem on leash when they're sitting there 
mm-hmm. and I'll even I'll even use a little bit of stem on a dog that's physically capable of going. If they're still babbling and stuff like that, dogs are going to do that. And I'll use that's where I do use a momentary button mm-hmm. when they if they bark, just boom. If yeah. I know they're babbling, if I'm cutting them in, like you said, no track there. They're just you can tell they're just beelining. If they're headed in there, I'll just bump them as mm-hmm. every time they bark. Then once they get there and they start opening, you just let them do it. And I've I've had good success doing it that way. Yeah, it doesn't that low stem. I'm not going to that extinction level training yes. where I'm blowing their no. heads off. No, you know I'm just bang, oh bang, oh bang, and then you hear boo. Yeah, and then yeah. you just release the pressure. They dogs are smart enough to learn that. Yeah, and well another thing too there is turn them one loose at a time. Yeah, if you'll let. And, I mean, everybody has their different ways of hunting and everything, and it works, whatever, I'm good. But I'm very cautious. I let my dog – I try to get my dog started, you know, whether it's off the rig or free casting. I don't just cut them all loose. I let one get in, and then I send another, and then I send another. And that way I don't have two dogs horse racing. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't have that. So, again, that's just something that I've learned over time, that if I don't do it, then – I don't. I don't have that issue. In, in the, the in the box. In the box. Woo! And I, I we can't really get into this because it's it talks about the box. But do I? The dog box. Oh, design the dog boxes. Well, yeah. I feel like I feel like certain things that certain certain dog boxes uh, promote this. He said the reason we're not going to talk about this is because Seth is interviewing some folks about dog box designs and mm-hmm. different stuff. We'll wait and see what he says about it. Cause I imagine it's going to be like long dog rigs that have these remote control doors and stuff. <laughs> on them. But, uh, he'll probably, I think he's actually, I better take that back. Cause I think they're interviewing me oh. <laughs> about dog boxes. I I'll make sure I throw that part in. Yeah. But as far as box goes for me, uh, the dogs are cut loose. Dogs want to stay in there and scream their heads off. There's a lot of bad things that can happen with that. Um, if you, if you're, if you, here's a good example. You're pulling up. You're watching the race on your Garmin, and you're planning on packing into it. And you pull up there, and you're wanting this bear to cross. You're wanting to come on across. You pull up there with a dog box full of barking crazy hounds, and you turn that bear, and you lost your opportunity to to pack into them. So, for me. One of the easiest things to do is just keep a bark color on your dog. Uh, but the hazard of that is in the middle of everything, I have turned hounds loose mm-hmm. with bark colors on them, yeah. uh, unawares. And luckily, they were older dogs that um, didn't set them back. But for me, barking in the box is a no-go. If they're up on the rig and they're just nervous barking, uh, I just take them off the take them mm-hmm. off the rig rack and put them back in the box. If you're going to act like that, no, you, you can ride inside. And yeah. they know that when they're in the box, they're to be quiet. Now, there's a big difference between nervous barking and and rigging. When we were going yeah. up the mountain today, uh, you know, my box blew up going up the mountain. It just, woo! I knew what that was. I don't get excited about it. I don't. I expect them to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I don't, my dog, if they're on top, they're allowed to bark. If my dogs are barking in the box, it better be a red hot track that they're because my dogs can't stick their heads out, and my I can Mine shut my either. box I can mm-hmm. shut my box up in about two seconds where 
there is no excuse for them to be barking. Like yeah. I can shut it up. Like I can shut my slides, um, and it's quiet. Mm-hmm. And usually, if I'm standing like what you're saying, if I'm waiting on a bear to cross, you know, I get out and I stand at the back of my truck, and if I hear anything, I just start ta- uh, 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 You know, I, I I try to control that. Isn't that just simply cap and drive? You know, you're capping that drive at that point and saying, settle down, guys. This isn't going to happen for you. There's no sense in, in expending the energy right here. So just chill. Yeah, I mean, so to a certain point it is, yes. And if, if you if you spend the time training your dogs not to run over top of you when you let them out of the truck, and if you're if you're hunting and free casting and you got your dogs on a lead and you, you teach them that, okay, when you're calm and collected, you get to go. A lot of that stuff takes care of itself in the truck too. Mm-hmm. So, um, little things you can do in the foundation part that we always talk about will will help eliminate a lot of these issues. I think. I read something a long time ago, back in the message board days. You know, some guy was made a comment. And I don't even remember who it was, but it always stuck with me. When he goes out to feed, mm-hmm. he always feeds the quiet dog first. Mm-hmm. He goes over and he feeds that quiet dog first. And if you do that consistently, hmm. it could be a different dog, but they all figure out that the barking doesn't get them fed. Right. You know, that's not getting me rewarded here. Mm-hmm. When I calm down and I settle down and I start acting like a good, decent human or citizen in this kennel citizen mm-hmm. here, I'm going to be fed. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you're teaching a dog patience. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So there we go. All right, let's see what we got here. Um, this will be quick and easy, I think. Um, Bailey Shefford wants to know the best way to work a dog that's shy. She didn't bark uh, till she was one. Got her running track down now. Just don't know how to push her or let her progress at her own rate. I think there's a few different things going on there, but let's let's talk about being shy first. Is she human shy or is she environmentally shy? What shy is she? Right. That's right. a coarse question. Mm-hmm. If it's human shy, all that can be worked over food. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's an easy fix. Feed, hand feed. Yeah. Yeah. And you let other people. You take her around and and expose her to other people and and let them feed. And this takes a little bit. Once she understands that, oh, it, these people aren't bad. And it depends on her environment, how was she raised, you know, who had her, what was done to her. A lot of that plays into it. So if you know those answers, you can fix this problem really, really quick. Now, if it's environmentally shy, which it sounds like it, she's run, she wasn't opening and now she's opening. Um, I would first kind of say, you know, well, what kind of dog is she? Is she tight mouth? And that's why she's not opening. But I'd have to have a little more information there mm-hmm. to, to, to give a, a, a full opinion um but if she's environmentally shy just keep hunting her what is environment give the definition for environmentally um, shy well i mean you take a dog to the woods you open the dog box and they're they don't want to come out yeah okay well they because they're they don't know what's going on you know so repetition yeah it should be a positive experience so even if you're just hauling the dog getting them out you know letting them play around in the woods for a few minutes and putting them back up you know make it a positive association um, okay, let's say that she's out and she's running. Um, you know, I don't know that there would be some shyness in that that section. 
and then is it at the tree? I, I don't like I said. I don't yeah. have enough. But uh, I've seen dogs like that. You know, you, you, I see you, it more in the box, like not wanting to come out of the box. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're you know you throw them in a the box, you drove them an hour around, beat them around in a, in, a, in the woods in a old rough road, and they're like, holy cow, this is not what. I want to sign up. They haven't connected the dots. Right. I got to do this part to get this part. Right. You know, and a lot of it's just exposure. We've all seen those young pups, the first trip to the woods, and they're getting out of the box, and it's like smelling everything, Mm -hmm. you know, a mud puddle. Here's a a nettle bush. Here's a Mm -hmm. toad jumping in the road, and they might jump back from a toad because exposure, exposure, exposure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just take them. Continue to hunt them, and whatever her shyness is from, if it's people – um, work her around people and make sure they understand that, you know, I need this to be a good association. Mm-hmm. Don't force her into situations that she's not comfortable with. You can coax her and lure her, but if you force her into it, it's going to, it's going to take twice as long to accomplish your goal. Yeah. I'll tell you something else. And this is something we'll go back up and mention Ariel again, is that, uh, you know, scattering that feed out in the yard mm-hmm. in that tall grass. I let my dog see me do that. I'll, I'll scatter that feed out. And so they know what that action means. So when I take a pup to the woods the first few times, I'll take a little bit of dog food with me. And they know what I'm doing when mm-hmm. I cast that feed out there. And they're going into the leaf litter and the bushes and the briars. And mm-hmm. they forget all about that stuff. Yep. And and it, subconsciously they understand that this is a good thing. We're, mm-hmm. we're in a good place. Yeah. No, Absolutely. Yep. All right. Let's see uh, if you if you need more information on that, Bailey. Then uh, let us know. Um, we're not going to talk about the dog box. Chuck Reynolds from Virginia says, "What's <laughs> uh, this?" Is yeah. I'm going to include it anyway. He says, "Just kidding," but but uh, we're going to talk about it anyway. What's the best breed to use for bear hunting? That's the first. That's the first question. <laughs> What's the best? This morning it was running Walker Walker crosses. I don't know. I, I think it's preference. Everybody's pre- everybody likes something different. I mean, guys, I am not colorblind. I have owned every color of the rainbow. I saw black and tan this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've got two here. Yeah, and of course, if you know, if you follow my old line of dogs, my first true bear dog that caught bear by himself was half black and tan half walker um and we thought let's go back to kevin's question about the ex-bred yeah his dad's mother was a single registered walker dog yeah you know so i i mean i'm not colorblind if it does the job i'm not i lead it um but there's certain things that i like and i don't like and i think that's everybody you find a dog that's out of good bear stock or you know it can be even coon coon bread. You have you find a dog that has a desire to run and catch and tree, then it don't I don't care what color it is. Yeah, it's it's just got to have some of those qualities. It's got to have those qualities. And I've seen good in dogs in all 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 colors. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have. If you've hunted long enough, you've seen it. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know that that's. I mean, it depends. I just on, appreciate a good dog. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It don't yeah. matter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah, yep. I mean, I think it depends on what country you're in. Yeah, um, you know, are you up north in the swamps? 
that takes a little bit of different style of dog. Are you down south in the swamps where it's so thick in there, the dog, you need a smaller dog? I mean, I, it just depends on where right. you're at, what what's your environment. You know, do you have water, you dry ground, or you yeah. – yeah, but Chuck asked that because he knew he'd get a rise out of us. So thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for uh, submitting that one, Chuck. But uh, okay, this was his real question. It says, "What is a finished bear dog? When do you consider a fin- it finished, and how old are they generally when they are finished?" I'm gonna hit this one first. I don't think a dog is ever finished developing. They may hit a plateau where uh, their performance caps out. But most dogs are going to continue to learn stuff, and they can improve their performance as long as they're physically able to perform, to improve their performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate the term finished bear dog because I'm kind of like, I don't want to be finished. Mm-hmm. I don't want that dog to be finished. If, if I, I want it... But I think there are certain capabilities. You know, you've got the, the, the intelligence levels. You've got those sort of things that may hinder them. And then eventually you're going to hit the physical levels. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, to to put a hard rule on it for me to say, you know, if I don't have a dog that's finished by the time he's three years old, then I'm going to, I'm going to give up on him or I'm going to, you know, that's, that's a call or whatever it is. But the first part of his question kind of set it up. What is a finished bear dog? I think it's pretty well, <laughs> You would think that would be a simple answer. For me, that is a dog that can strike his own track. And I mean, we can, we can, we're not going to get into the cold trail and hot tracks, whatever. He strikes his own track. He's able to catch that bear and tree it by himself. To me, consistently, that is a finished, a, a dog that can catch bear consistently by himself is a, is, I'll, I'll say he's a bear dog. Mm-hmm. Um, now we can get into different types and everything. Like I said, I got a cold trailing dog, and I, I w- let's finish that up. Is it depends on what part of the country you're in and how much you're hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, guys that can hunt year round. You know, West Virginia's pretty liberal with their. I mean, you can hunt pretty much all the yeah. time. Um, Carolina, you can hunt down there. You know, they may have a pretty finished dog at two or three years old. Yeah. For me, I mean, my dogs are not four yet. And I don't consider them even, you know, they're not finished. Um, I still got a little trash breaking to do. They're still making some, you know, like spook this. I mean, they still make mistakes. Um, I don't consider a dog finished until he's four or older. Mm-hmm. And now, I do think by five or six, you've got what you have. Right. I agree now, with that. Now, that dog should be consistent. Um, you should you should be able to depend on him regularly. Uh, and he may, he may, he may like surprise you now and then. I say, I agree with that after I said that first part. So I need to clarify that, you know, the parts that are, that they can run, catch, they need to be able to run, catch and tree game by themselves or within a pack. You know, if they're not doing it by five years old, then I've got the wrong dogs, yeah. you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, but after that five-year-old man, I've seen dogs that just start keep, they figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. You know, they figure out the, the life hacks and catching mm-hmm. bears and, and shortcuts and different stuff like that. So mm-hmm. they continue to get better. So are they truly finished? So finished is a word that we put on them mm-hmm. as a grading scale. So I, yeah, I think you're right. A finished dog is a dog that can consistently catch bear. That would be the definition. Now, 
I, I agree with you. There are going to be times from that dog's five to ten years old that they're going to do stuff, and you're like, hey, gum, how'd he do that? Yeah. Or, you know, he's going to – I've never seen him do that before, and it was a good thing. Right, yeah. You know? I mean, so and it's like you said, he, he figures things out. You know, that, that experience puts him at a higher level. Yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think we've got one left, and it came in late uh, because I didn't get the post down. But Luke Jordan, you got the question in before we did this, so I'm going to answer it. Um, nope. Luke, you were asking about dog boxes. Seth is going to take care of that. Two more. Trisha Butler asks, how do you break a dog from tree jacking? Ugh. Tree jacking, uh, to describe that, <clears throat> dogs are treed, and you got a dog that's, I mean, I've seen them as bad as, you know, running up the tree 10 feet, launching themselves backwards 15 feet off the tree, barking a few mm -hmm. times and doing it again. <clears throat> yep. That is my pet peeve. I won't hunt a dog like that. I don't care how much game they can catch. There, I've seen more problems at the tree, either them injuring themselves or landing on another dog. I don't want my pup that I, it's the first tree they came to that they showed up at on their own, finished their own race, <clears throat> and and being mauled by some thug in there that doesn't have any manners. And uh, tree jacking is something that. I got laughed at when I said I think tree jacking ought to be a scratchable offense in competition coon hunting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stand by it. I, I think it's a major cause of aggression. It's poor behavior. It ought to be a disqualifying fault in a dog. But, uh, yeah, Keith, I, I, what do you think? Again, we can control stuff when we're there. It's when you're not there for two hours or two and a half or three, however long it takes you to get to that spot. That's, you know, that was the whole issue with the aggression thing. Like, you can control things. Dogs change their behavior when you're around. Um, if you can set the dog up, uh, if you're coon hunting, I think it's pretty easy because you can do it multiple times a night. Um, I think I would start with going back to that low level level of stem. And when that dog starts to jump, dit, 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 dit. And when he sets down or he decides to put his feet up on, on the tree and start training, then you that's when you go in and you praise the crap out of that dog. Mm -hmm. That behavior, the behavior that you want, you reward it. Um, I've seen, I mean, I've seen guys tie dogs, you know, right to the base of the tree. When they jump up, they're flipping around. I mean, I've seen all kinds of different ways to do it. Um, I have actually lessened. I can't say that I broke it completely because I don't know what they did when I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. But I, I've i had two dogs in the last eight years, ten years, that I did exactly what I said. I went in, I sat up on top of the hill and watched them. And when they started to do that, zip, 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 just tap, tap, tap. And, and I, I curved that behavior. Um, and it, you've got to be consistent with it. You've got to do it every time you go mm -hmm. to the tree. Um, that's why I say, and I think if you're coon hunting, it's something that you can do easier. And then you got to ask yourself, if you're hunting by yourself and you're only hunting that dog, does it even matter? Right. Now, if you're like us and, you know, you're hunting four or five dogs and you may have, you know, eight or ten dogs at a tree, I think it's the number one culprit of starting fights. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't like, I'm like well, that was Josh, like it. Well, that was Josh's point, you know, yeah. in competition. You know, he, Josh Michaelis made the comment, 
why does it matter? Because the dogs ought to be treated separate anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, not on, very rarely did they honor one another anyway. So right. why would it matter? Uh, so my opinion about a disqualifying fault might be a little dated from earlier UKC hunting when you have more stuff on it earlier days of competition Mm -hmm. uh but at the same token i think it's behavior if you never let it get started then you don't have to correct it later yeah and i've seen it as early as that first introduction on a squirrel in the yard you just go out and you it's it's a it's you just go out and grab the dog up and remove them from that situation right now yeah and then you set them up again to let them get treed on something and you be ready for it to step in there and, you know, tell them, no, they got to understand that they can't do it. And then, and then through our collar conditioning and things like that, then we can introduce stem to it if we need to. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like just enough stem to, to stop that behavior, but you got it. Like I said, your timing is going to be impeccable. It's got to be impeccable. It's got to be right in that moment, right before they jump. And it, you've got you've got to switch that behavior right then. See, I'm I'm gonna go extinction training on that bad boy. Yeah, maybe maybe not at the tree. That's a, that's a little rough. Uh, that's why I say I think I feel like you're in that fine line. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to shut them down. I'd you. like to go extinction training. Yeah, with more than a knee collar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I think the best you can do if you've got it deeply ingrained in them is like you said, curb the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um you're still going to have some bouncing. I love a good, clean tree dog or one that sits back. Uh, they never have problems. I wish all mine sat back. Yeah. I wish all of them did. Yeah. Yeah. One more. Derek Tormanen of Outer Agenda. Mm-hmm. He designed some great uh, logos and graphics and stuff for the hound community from Michigan. He says, is there any good method for making a dog stick to the tree or it is in their blood to just keep nosing around and venture off. So how do you get a dog that, to stay treat? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, if I see a dog, if he's if he's had a history of, of uh, treeing and he's doing well, we talked about this with uh, a couple podcasts ago and caring for a hound's on budget part two. First thing I'm going to check is make sure that that dog's ears are clean and clear flush his ears, make sure he doesn't have a bunch of buildup or an infection in there. Cause that's, I've seen it so many times you get a good young dog coming on and, and all of a sudden he just starts this weird behavior and it's, it's from, it's a health issue. He's not comfortable mm-hmm. with his head rocked back, mm-hmm. uh, and barking, you know, he's got that ear infection and, and they don't tell you like when we've got an ear infection, it hurts when mm-hmm. we wind around and stuff. Hounds might be as subtle as just a flick of the ears, you know, when it comes out of the box. Mm-hmm. So first thing is keep the ears clean. What I've got some other stuff, but what do you think? Uh, well, the first thing I was asking myself about genetics, you know, is this something, is the dog milling all the time or has he been treeing and all of a sudden he's just stopped? Right. I mean, I, I guess that would be a question, um, which applies to the genetics. Um, everybody does things differently. Again, it's just my opinion. When I get to the tree, the first thing I do is tie my dogs. I, even my pup, I don't give them the opportunity to mill around. Um, but that's me. Um, so, I mean, without knowing the background and what's going on, just mill. I mean, the dog's not treeing and then wandering off. All right, is he coon hunting? 
okay. Squirrel dogs do it a lot. Squirrel dogs. Squirrel do dogs do because this they don't. A lot. They lose sight. Well, they you know, squirrel dogs are notorious for milling around at the tree. Uh-huh. Um, most of these coonhound breeds, you know, they they are so tree minded that boom, they're they're mm-hmm. there, they're locked in. Uh, it's not a big deal. But a lot of times, puppies will be there and they'll be milling around. So tie them up. Yeah, I tie mine up. I mean, that's the first thing I do. Um, like I said, depending on what game. You know, if, if I'm if I'm if he's again, it depends on what game. If he's if we're bear hunting and he's seen a couple bear in the tree, or you know, time back away from the tree and the, you know the bear comes out and he's able to see that, and you know, it don't take them long to put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Um, then kind of you know go back to what you've talked about before. You know, that dog's milling the tree and you walk in, you catch him two hundred yards off the tree or a hundred yards. Right there, I'm up. I time right there. Yeah, time up and yep. go on do your business and come back and get him after the party's over. That's right. He will change his attitude. What well, and you talked about that one time about frustration. We can use frustration to our advantage. Yeah, building frustration. You know, yeah, um, we do it in. Our, we don't have our, to be successful every time, it, or end on a positive note type thing. Is yeah, what you that, said. That's baloney. And in canine training, that was. I was always taught that end on a good note, end on a good note, and then when you keep pushing that dog and pushing that dog, next thing you know, you got a big blow up that it takes you thirty days to fix. Yeah, um, the dogs don't have to be successful. Mm-hmm. If I've got a dog that is bad in grip, and it's just an example, I got a dog's got a shallow grip, which means he's biting with the front part of his mouth, and and you can see air between the back part of his or his um, gums, uh, not gums, but the back part of his mouth, and I can jaw. Stick, jaw and stick fingers in there, that's a shallow bite. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a bite, and I'm going to work him until he slips that bite, and I'm going to put him up. And I'm going to do this over, and over, I'm going to take that away from him. And next thing you know, he's got full mouth, and he's not letting go for nothing. Yeah. And I, we use it to develop bite strength, too. So um, there's, there's a couple different applications, but that's just a very simple version. Yeah, so you're, building, <clears throat> you're using that frustration to build desire, yep. to, to increase that drive, to mm-hmm. do the job. So when we're talking about tree, then he's already shown you he wants to be there. And if he's coming back and meeting you, he's already, you've already heard him in there. You're walking in, he comes back, and he meets you. Boom, tie him uh-huh. up right there. Hopefully, and just just walk on into the tree. Hopefully, you're hunting something else. If you're hunting by yourself, tie them up anyway and walk in there. If you're squirrel hunting, shoot squirrel out. If you if you're coon hunting and you can find it, shoot the coon out. Don't ever let him touch it. Yeah, yeah. That, and I was gonna say, I had a plot dog named Cash. Nice, big old, nice looking dog. Big old ball mouth. Nice switch over chop at the tree. And he would do that. He he would trail into the tree throw out a couple of locates, sit down, oh, 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 oh. And I mean, a minute or two, boom, he was down, fooling around, mm-hmm. he'd mill around, and he'd leave. So back then, we had the sun glow, had the collars that mm-hmm. put out the neon. Yeah, all the way around. So, so I like bought a, one yeah. so I could watch him and see what was going on. And the the solution was um, I would I would – I actually took my old Brandy female – and I would let him tree, send her in. She'd hold the tree, and I would catch him and tie him, and I'd shoot the coon out to her Yeah. and not let him have it. You bet. It took eight times, eight. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, you couldn't blast that dog off the tree with dynamite. Yeah. Like, he was he was done. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just knowing. And, and back then, 
Like but back when I was doing some of this stuff, and I'll, I'll tell a real quick story after this. I didn't know what I was doing. And one of Pappy, Dale Breeden, told me that. Yeah. He said, tie him back and shoot it out. Don't let them have it. And I'm like, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, because we thought, give them more game. Mm-hmm. Give them more game. But now that I've got in law enforcement side, you know, we use terminology in the bite world that if if I've got a yard full of rabbits, the dog gets lazy. He don't want to chase, you know, he don't want to, he, because he can go in there and pick out what he wants. And that's kind of the same thing. The dogs get lazy, but. They wait for one to hop by that they just got to reach out and grab. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing, but yeah. You got to be intentional about it too. I used to, I used to have a little dog. He's a nice squirrel dog. And, um, I'd slip in on him. I'd hear him come on the tree and I knew he was down milling. I'd get there and he'd be down milling. So, so, uh. I would walk in and be intentionally and I intentional about it, walk in downwind from him so he can't smell you coming, he can't see you coming, and just stand back there and watch him. And as is if he's already been told to get back on there, you've scolded him, you've physically put him on the tree, you've you've tied him right there, you've petted him for where he's supposed to be, you've done that a few times. If you're walking into the tree and he's down milling and as soon as he looks at you He's got that oh crap look on his face, and he gets back on the tree. That dog mm-hmm. knows where he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So at that point, to go past that, I would slip in downwind <clears throat> from him where I could watch. And as soon as they came in, as soon as that nose started to go down, tap, tap, tap with the e-collar. Mm-hmm. And uh, one female I had that was, uh, was she was a nice dog. She turned out to be a really nice dog, too, but she got in the habit of doing that. I actually tone broke her. I knew what she was doing. She'd go in there and load up on a tree, and I'd tone break her. Beep, beep, beep. Boom, back on the, back on the tree, she, and she would sit right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just knowing, you know, little things. Like I said, you know, maybe you have a good a mentor or somebody there that can kind of guide you in the right direction without seeing dogs. The cool thing about podcasts is they've got one every week. Yeah, you know, yeah. We tr- at least we will every AMA Friday. You can ask your questions, and yeah, and we'll find somebody to answer it. Yeah, but it's, it's a lot of these questions are hard without seeing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we can speculate and give you know advice, but it, you know, without seeing the dog and knowing some of the background, it's it's hard to to give you a um, right answer. Yeah. It's more of a generic mm-hmm. answer or general. Just some ideas for you to try and and to keep watching. It's something that's been. Uh, you know, developed over a lot of experience and, and professional training on dog behaviors and, and different things is, is kind of. Well, I was going, the story from. I was going to tell real quick. Yeah. And I was talking about before I got into canine training uh, with the police side of it. Um, I'd done a couple of things that to this day, I don't even know how I did it. One of the dogs that I hunted, I comp- it was, uh, it was a, I had a dog out of Sackett Jr., directly out of Sackett and Dale's Pine Creek Candy female. Um, and I called him Pooh. His name was Rock, but <laughs> my dad got so mad because I was keeping him in the garage when he was a puppy, and he'd crap everywhere. So dad started calling him Pooh. So we called him Pooh. Um, but I had that, that dog. That might be the worst dog name I've ever heard. <laughs> um, but that dog, and I don't know how I taught it. I don't to this day. I was thinking about it today, actually. I could I could walk him in the woods off lead, and... He would stay with me and I, until I told him to go on. The dogs could be in there treed, and I could. He would stay right with me, hmm. and I'd be like, 
all right, you can go. Boom. And he would literally kick rocks in your face. Yeah. And I do not know how I was able to accomplish that. Or the dog was just that smart that he knew. But we're talking about, um, you know, cap and drive. Mm -hmm. You know, you know how hard it is for a dog to stand there patiently and quiet and not say a word and not literally not make one step. You know, I look at that now and I'm like, I want that again. (laughs) <laughs> like, like I want all four or five of my dogs to do that, mm-hmm. and I don't even know how I did. I know how to do it now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, like on the on you get a, your buddy gets a rig strike, mm-hmm. or maybe you've got one dog that you dropped out down the road, and you're going to pack into it. If you could get your dogs out, and they all came out and sat mm-hmm. and capped that drive, and now they're focused and they're listening to that dog. Dogs aren't going across the road backwards. They're not mm-hmm. running up the road 300 yards. You're not screaming and yelling, trying to get them all back <laughs> yeah. and pointed in the right direction. My goal, and I, I don't know that I'll accomplish it with this pack because that takes some time, but with the pups, like that's something I want them to be able to do. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to for, be be walking, and when the dog's open, for them to stand but i'm already working on that in the pen Mm -hmm. like i'm not letting them out of the pen until they're calm when i open the pen door they're not allowed to come out until i say okay same thing with the feeding process um i don't you don't see me with um attica Uh, she's in the pen by herself so i went in to feed her i made her sit and wait i laid the food down Yes, boom, she goes to feed. So I'm, yeah. I'm working on some of that stuff now, trying to lay that family. Well, I've been working on it, but I would like for those pups to be able to accomplish that behavior. That's such a good point. I'm, we're running long, but but none of my dogs get a mob me at the food food bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, if I tell them to get back, I expect them to be hitting the doghouse and sitting in their doghouse until I say, you're free. Mm-hmm. They come over, they start eating, I pet them. Tell yep. them, tell them everything's good, and it, that's all foundation. That's, that's foundation mm-hmm. stuff. They're ple- you know, they're pleasant to be around. Nobody wants. To, I've got people that come and feed for me when I'm gone, and and you got a dog that doesn't understand that or doesn't have any manners, and and now you're getting a phone call while you're on vacation with your family. Hey, your dog got out. Mm-hmm. We can't find it. Yeah, uh, you know stuff like that. But just just a little soapbox moment, man. You can you can do so much right now. Mm-hmm. When so. you're all during your, it's, it's like I go back to Arlie Reynolds' podcast. What did Arlie say? On the off season is when we work on loading and leading and riding, and we do this and we do that. That is the that is the time to put those tweaks and those manners and those things that you want the dog to do. That is the time to do it during season. You can accomplish stuff, but that is not for me. I get more accomplished off season mm-hmm. so yeah yeah for sure well hey i enjoyed the ama friday first ama friday ask yeah. me anything and it's just not me i mean we're gonna we're gonna bring different people in i'm not gonna answer all the questions because i can't yeah and uh so heath i appreciate you chiming in here on yeah. a lot of these training issues for I'm, sure you know i'm curious i want to learn too yeah. like i'm all you know i'm always about learning anything that i can learn i'm all about it so that's right me too. So hopefully people get a feel for this and and start piling them up. And, and in the future, if we start piling up a lot of questions, make sure you're following us on Facebook. The Facebook group is Houndsman XP Podcast Group. Make sure you're answering the questions. We delete. If you don't answer the membership questions, we delete it. And, and 
The reason for that is, is we have had trolls come into our group that were there to do nothing but spy and gather information on people and houndsmen and and what we're talking about and different stuff like that. So we aren't going to let people just come in. you got to go through all the, all the questions. Do not hit that submit button until you've done all of them. So uh, if you've been denied in the past or you haven't gotten in, go back in and answer the questions. And uh, we've had a few that answered the questions that were still trolls too. Yeah. Yeah, they came in, they slipped in. We look at a lot of those profiles. You know, yeah. if, if you've got three pictures of you in a bikini at the beach, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're probably not getting in. You don't have any indication that you're a hunter or a houndsman, probably not getting in. Right. So anyway, Heath, that'll wrap this one up for AMA Friday. So All right. Thanks, man. Yep.